At the movie starts next week. You don't want to miss it. If you're ever going to like invite somebody to the church, this would be the series to invite them to. I guarantee it'll be amazing. Um, I, I talked to my daughter about it. She said, what's the next series? And I said, at the movies. She said, that is my favorite series we do. And I said, yes, me too. Uh, I speak less in that series than any other series, and it's probably the most effective one. And there might be a correlation. I'm not sure. So I'm not going to be offended. But it's good. So next week. You don't want to miss, and then the month of October, just plan, invite somebody, I guarantee you, it'll be good. All right, well, welcome to uh, everybody in the theater today. I want to say welcome to those listening online, tuning in through Facebook Live or podcasts. Uh, what's really cool in the last three years, all right, get this, uh, we've had about 10,000 downloads of all our podcasts in, in, in many cold countries. I'm going to say probably about eight or eight, nine countries, different countries have tuned in somewhere around the world. Uh, most of the states in the United States, there's been a listener somewhere in our country that has tuned in over the last three years. Uh, it's been pretty awesome. And then Facebook Live, in this, we've, we've been doing our services live for the last year, a little over a year, and we've had over 10,000 views just in our Facebook. Uh, so I get uh, on a weekly basis, somebody will talk to me about, about something we're doing, uh, different things we're doing. So I'm just, I'm just, just want you to know, all those listening, thanks for tuning in. You're not alone. There's a lot of you out there, and we'd love to hear about hear from you. Uh, so if you want to get, let, shoot us an email through our website, it'd be awesome to hear about your stories. And then everybody in the theater, thanks for coming. Uh, three years has flown by, and it's been a great, a great three years, and we're excited uh, for it. And so today I thought I would share something from the heart of the church, why we started the church in the first place. God really gave us a team, an amazing team, to build to start the church back in 2014. Uh, but before that, I began to travel around the state, uh, talking to different ministries, different churches, about getting on board to help us. And it was amazing how God gave us partners all around our our, our city city, our state, and our country to help us on this journey. And so we didn't go out alone. We had a lot of people to, I have a lot of people to thank in, this, in, this, in the process of this all, but it was amazing. And when I traveled, I would share with them the heart of why I felt like, like God was saying, you need to start a church in Santa Fe. Because a lot of times you tell somebody you're going to start a church, one of the things they say is, does Santa Fe really need another church? Um, there's a lot of churches here. Do they really need another one? And I would say, well, no, they don't need another church, but they do need unique churches. They do need specific churches that will reach people that nobody else is reaching. And so we, we start the growth. So I would, I would tell, I would share this message that I'm going to share with you today. So I'm excited to share it with you. Um, one day I'll, I'll make it into a series because it is so good. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to just share with you a little bit. Last week we finished a series called Start With Why or Why What? Um, talking about how we should start with the why in our lives, the purpose, um, why we're doing things. We, the series before that was the backwards plan. All of these are building up to saying this is, this is the philosophy we have as, as believers in Christ, as a church, that if you have a good plan, if you understand why you're trying to accomplish things, you're going to be more successful in life. And last week I said this. I said people that are successful when it comes to accomplishing things with their lives, they do the opposite of what the majority of people do. They don't look at the, out, out, the, the external things and say, all right, here's the challenge, here's the problem. That's what most people do. They look at the problem and say, I, I'm in debt or uh, my marriage isn't working or um, I'm not getting good grades or whatever. You fill in the blank. There's some kind of problem. Majority of people look at that and say, wow, that's a lot. People that are successful, they look at that, but they don't focus on that. They start with the inside. We talked about last week. You start with the inside out. They focus on the purpose. They focus on what they could do. They focus on um, the reason to the actions that they're going to do. And they don't let the circumstance detour them or stop them from accomplishing something. So if you missed it, I would encourage last week was great. But I talked about how there are these moments where we all feel overwhelmed in life. Like you just – you don't know what to do. Almost like you're drowning. Um, and I said when you're in those situations, I gave tools of how, how to accomplish that. Uh, well, today I want to continue a little bit of that uh, idea of that tension that I kind of built was, was this. There are times in our lives where so many things are happening, we really don't know where to start or where to begin. 
And so today I want to encourage you. Here's the other thing that successful people do is they do something. They just they start, they move, and they, they, they figure out the, the next step, and they just move forward. Where people that aren't successful, they let all the overwhelming things stop them and keep them stuck. For example, the last few weeks around our world, would you agree that it's been crazy? Anybody with me? Crazy, right? we got hurricanes that are flooding like crazy. we got earthquakes, uh, multiple earthquakes that are happening. we got another, other, more hurricanes on the way coming through, uh, flooding. Other side of the world, monsoons and more flooding that's happening. Um, if you look at everything that's happening, it could be very overwhelming. You think, my goodness, like the world's going crazy and all this stuff. And, and part of it is very scriptural, and there's a lot of uh, prophecies that talk about that in the Bible. Um, but it's not to scare us. It's just to say this is, this is how – this is the, the, the consequences of sin. This is the consequence of what's going to take place. Um, but, but it could be overwhelming um, in our, your own life. Then you add to your, your, the things you're going through, like, like tomorrow. You might have a conversation that you really don't want to have with somebody. You want – in your marriage, maybe there's some tension or some stress or your kids, maybe they're, they're misbehaving or whatever it is. You start adding all these things. You start thinking like there's all these things happening at once. I, I just feel overwhelmed. What am I supposed to do? Well, today I want to help you. There's something you can do, and I want to help you move forward in it. Um, it's one of the reasons we started the church. We said that somebody has to do something about this. Uh, so let me, let me tell you a story that, of what took place to one of my friends. Um, when he was working here in Santa Fe at a church, he took all of all the, the students, the, the high school students, to a, a field trip to the state fair on a youth trip. And while they were there, there was a big group of guys who walked through their group and uh, touched his wife inappropriately. And so after a little while, his wife told him, these guys walked through, they touched me inappropriately, and, and, and he got fired up like, what? These, nobody can touch my wife like that? And so he, he sent all the students with, with the girls, like the ladies, and said, go over there. And he got all the guys together and was like, we're going to go confront these guys. Like, that's not right. And so he goes, he gets a, a, a band of four guys to go with him to confront this gang of guys. And as he walks up to these guys, you know, he's, he's got one of the guys next to me, you can see him to the peripheral and walking with him and he has this really big cowboy guy who's he thinks behind him and he when he gets to the to this group of guys he says hey you touched my wife inappropriately that's not right and um and the guy says yeah and he pops him in the chest with his finger bam right in the chest and my, my friend kelly said oh that hurt <laughs> like <laughs> in his mind you know he's a guy he's not going to show the guy hurt but he's like oh that hurt and so he says he says yeah what are you going to do about it and so he looks you know and he sees his friend he's like all right and he looks to the left there's nobody he looks back, and his friends are hiding in the trees. He's like, oh, great. And I, I can only imagine the this, this, this scene in his head, like, youth pastor punches gang member. Gang members pummel and, and, and <laughs> youth pastor to a pulp. You know? And then I can imagine him in his head thinking, uh, the, the, the police calling all the parents of the students from the church, like, um, yeah, you need to come pick up your kids from the state fair. Your youth pastor is in jail because he got in a fight. And so he's in the middle of the situation trying to figure out what am I going to do if I yeah, if I do something about it, like, I'm going to get beat up. My friend's going to get beat up. He's really short. He's not going to really do a lot of good. But he's brave, and he's with me at least, and, um, and he's just playing this. And so the guy continued to hit him. Bam, yeah, what are you going to do about it? He said he couldn't do anything. He just felt so helpless, like, well, don't do it again. And he walked away, and uh, I think he was the bigger man at the time, which was good. He didn't get beat up. Uh, but he just remember he told me, like, over and over, this guy just kept saying, yeah, what, what are you going to do about it? And he felt so helpless, like he couldn't do anything. I think sometimes in life we go through these, these seasons where it feels like there's somebody just popping this chest saying, yeah, what are you going to do about it? You know, as, as, as a pastor, there's just there's two parts that, we, that I live in. There's the physical and there's the spiritual. Uh, physical be the seen, the things I can touch. Spiritual is the unseen, things that go on that we really sometimes can't even explain. They're, just, they're, they're happening. And the Bible tries to bring sense to it because a lot of times the physical hints at the spiritual um, to show us there's correlation between the two. 
Um, and over and over throughout the Bible, you see it. Like a lot of things in, in, in one part of the Bible is, is, is physical that happen, but there's a spiritual correlation of how that applies to our lives that even though people can't see it, it's still happening. Um, and there's this one story that takes place that happens um, to, to a man. It, it'd be like – so we're looking at our world and we're thinking there's earthquakes, there's, um, there's famine, there's disease, there's, there's people that are dying because they can't eat. Uh, there's human trafficking happening. There's all these things, and um, almost like you, you're saying, what, what, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Like you get this sense of what am I going to do about it? Well, there's a story in the Bible that illustrates one man who said, um, this is not right. Somebody has to do something about this. Um, and it's found in, in the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, Nehemiah is a man who grew up in, in, in exile. Um, he was a cupbearer for the king in a foreign land, and so they – his people were taken from Jerusalem and from Israel into slavery, all right, and slaves into exile. And uh, he grew up in, in a foreign place, and, but his heart was always with God and with his people. Um, and so Nehemiah 1, it starts off like this in the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Nehemiah, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God, before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears something. He's so overwhelmed, he has to sit down. And he cries. Like he, I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation with something devastating. You can't even stand. Like your, weeks are, your legs are weak and uh, you're so overwhelmed because of what's happening. And he says, it's just, I sat and I cried. And then he didn't eat for days. Like I mourned. I fasted. I went without food because I was so, he was so distraught. Well, what is the news that he heard that made him like this? The verse before it, in, chapter, in verse 3, it says like this. It says that they said to me. So people from Jerusalem, they traveled back to his, his city and said, they said to me, those who have survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. It's not good, Nehemiah. They're in great trouble. They're in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. We read that in, in, our, in our context of living in the United States, and we're thinking, what's the big deal? Just some uh, uh, walls falling down, and the gates are burned. It's not a big deal. But in his day, um, that was a very big deal. Uh, imagine with me, you had... You had some kids, you had sheep or you had livestock, right? Um, and when you went to bed at night, there's no walls to protect you from the, from the villages or the clans that were surrounding other nations. So when you went to bed, you probably went to bed with a sword in your hand because you didn't know when somebody was going to make the alarm of they're taking our livestock or they're taking our children. And when there's no protection around a city, there was no warning when you would be attacked or when things would be taken. So you lived with this constant tension of could today be the day that I lose everything? Um, and any, any attacking village or nation would be able to come do whatever they want because your walls are broken down. But not just that. More than that is these are the people who said our God is the God. Like this was their claim. Like Jehovah, like our God, Yahweh, he is the only God. Like he's the one who created everything. So when you have people who say our God is strong and powerful and their walls are broken down and their lives are in ruined, what do you think the nations around them are going to say? Well, yeah, your God's really strong. Like he hasn't helped you at all. And there's people in this room who find themselves, and maybe they, this is the tension you live in. Like, you can't see the walls, but they're broken down. Like, your, your marriage, like, those walls have been maybe, maybe they've been really weak, and in some cases they've been crumbling, or relationships, the, the, the walls of relationships have, have crumbled down. Maybe there's some addiction, there's things, health things, and you just feel like, man, I have no protection. Like, I'm just, I'm so vulnerable to anything that comes my way. And this is the, the place that Nehemiah's people found themselves in. Very vulnerable and susceptible to the attacks to the enemy. And it goes on and says, when I heard these things, I wept for days. I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Here's the thing. The first thing I want to notice about Nehemiah and his, and his story is this. 
It's, it has to start with you and me. It starts at home. We have to take responsibility. The thing I love about Nehemiah is he grew up in a foreign nation. Most likely he never would, wasn't even there when, when all these things happened. All right? And he st- says this prayer. And in his prayer, this is what he says. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commandments, your decrees, your laws. And then he quotes God and says, remember he told Moses that if we didn't stay faithful to you, that you would, we would be scattered throughout the earth as exiles in different places? It's like, now that's the reality we live in. Nehemiah never blamed his father or his forefathers. Like, God, those people were so stupid. Hey, man, we're in a really bad situation, but it was everybody, the, the people you gave me who raised me, the people that, that raised them, like, those, they're idiots and it's their fault. He never said that. He said, God, forgive me. He realized it has to start with him. Like, we have to own things and take responsibility. Well, yeah, but we didn't cause that. Well, he didn't either. But he knew that in the middle of that, if he's going to ever do anything good, he has to realize that he's just as susceptible to do the foolish things that other people have done. And in that, he says, all right, God, man, forgive me. I'll take responsibility. I'm, I'm a part of this. Like, there's something, some role here that I could figure out. And the next thing is this. We have to figure out what our role is and find a need that we can meet. Figure out what your role is and then find a need that you can meet. See, Nehemiah, he, he, he hears about this and he prays and he asks God, what am I supposed to do? And then he gets favor from the king to travel back to, his, to Jerusalem to go rebuild the walls. The king gives him resources. Um, he figures out, like he takes some time to really think about it. And then he, he, he makes a, a plan. He goes back, home, back to Jerusalem and he gathers the leaders and he says, guys, this is what's happened. He begins to talk about it. He says, let's rebuild the wall. Let's, let's do something about this. See, Nehemiah had a concern. There was something that, that, that bugged him so much that wasn't right. He said, somebody has to do something about this. I believe a lot of times in our lives when there's things that are around us that bother us, that might be a good indication that you needed to be doing something about that. Like when there's something that you're thinking, man, this is not right. Somebody should do something about that. That might be God tapping you on the shoulder saying, yes, that's why I created you. You should help with that and not ignore it. Because here's the thing. If, if you don't do anything, then nothing gets done. Do something because action is required. Like Nehemiah couldn't just cry and, and, and sit distraught and just feel depressed the whole rest of his life. He said, somebody's got to do something. Do something. Action is required. Because here's the thing. We can't, we can't do everything, but we can do something. He said, let us start rebuilding. Let's just get a couple blocks. Let's start putting these back, this wall back together. Let's start doing something with our lives. Now, there's a famous quote that says this, that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men, they do nothing. Evil succeeds when good people just sit on their butts and don't do anything. And Nehemiah was saying, I'm not going to be that kind of person. I'm going to do something about it. In 1964, in New York City, there's a man who attacks a woman. He brutally assaults her, stabs her, all right? Uh, There's sexual assault, all this other stuff that took place. As he attacks her, 37 people witness this. Some, Some people hear it. Some people see it from a distance. 37 people are witnesses to this attack, and not one single person did anything. Taxer, man attacks a woman, 37 people witness it, nobody does anything. At some point, somebody from up a window up in, in one of the apartments yells out, leave her alone. He gets scared enough just to run away for an hour and change his clothes, comes back because the woman's hurt, and continues the assault. By the time the police are called, she dies on the way to the hospital. Man attacks a woman, 37 people witness it, nobody does anything so sociologists call this the bystander effect a bystander effect is this when there's a lot of people that witness something everybody thinks the same thing this is not right it's not good these are good people they aren't bad 
but they all think the same thing. Somebody sh- I'm, I'm sure somebody else is going to do something about this. Like, this is so bad. I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to step in the way, step in, step in and help out. But because there were some people that witnessed it, everybody thought the same thing. Well, I'm busy. I had to get home. I got to make dinner for my, for my family. I, gotta, I really don't want to get involved. You know, that might be really messy. But I, I'm pretty sure that big guy over there is going to do something about it. You know, that lady, she has a lot of compassion. I'm sure she's going to do something about it. And nobody did anything, and a woman dies. In our world, the bystander effect, bystander effect can happen around us all the time. Because we pass by those things, and we say, man, somebody really needs to do something about that. And there's, there's a lot of kids who don't have fathers. Like, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to do about, something about that. No, what if you're supposed to do something about that? What about, about the widow? What about the, the orphan? What about what? Maybe you're supposed to do something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi regime. And he resisted. He's one of the only pastors. All the other pastors were saying, let's join with Hitler and make, make our, our country great. And it's going to be about making God great in our, in our nation. And all these pastors joined this crazy man. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of the pastors that says, no, I think this is a bad idea. I think you're jumping into, into bed with the wrong person here. Let's not do this. And he resisted. Um, he says this. He says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. The choice of inaction is still a choice. And we make it all the time. I'm, I'm just as guilty as you. We, 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 we sit by and just say, somebody else can do something about that. Hitler said, this is so bad, I'm willing to do something about it. And he ended up giving his life to try to bring down and stop the Nazi regime and take Hitler out. He was a part of the team to say, we have to stop this. Too many people are dying. Innocent people are dying. Somebody has to do something about this evil. And it cost him his life. But he's one of the most respected pastors because he stood up and said, somebody needs to do something about this. It's not right. And it cost him his life. What are the things that you are maybe supposed to do? Do something. Action is required. Here's the thing. When it comes to life, it comes to, to the world we live in. There's a lot of crazy things happening all around. And we can get overwhelmed and think, well, um, I don't know if I can. I'm just one person. I don't know if I can do anything. For example, how many millions of kids die every year because they didn't have, they, they didn't have food or they didn't have clean water? Millions of kids every year just because they don't have food or water. Something very simple that we have in abundance here in our country, right? Well, me as one person, I can't feed millions of people. As a church, we can't feed millions of people. But can I feed one? Yeah, I could feed one. And my family at some point said, we can do something about at least one. So we sponsor a kid on the other side of the world, give him education and food so he can break the cycle of poverty. Uh, this week, uh, Thursday morning, I fly to Haiti for a few days to go see Convoy of Hope, an uh, organization that's amazing. They're feeding kids in Haiti. They give them education and food, uh, and it only costs somebody $10 a month to feed them and give them education in hopes that we'll break the poverty cycle in one of those kids' lives. So I'm going to go witness this, see some orphanages, see some feeding programs, some schools. So I could come back and say to you guys, guys, there's this amazing program called Feed One, and we could feed a kid for $10 a month. Uh, my daughter was asking me about Haiti, and she said, why are you going to Haiti? And I said, well, kind of hope, and I'd be in a tower where I just told you. And she said, I said, when I come back, I'm going to talk to the church about us, jumping on and saying, what can we do? We can't feed millions, but can we feed one, maybe 10? In this size of room, maybe 50, 100 kids? Yeah, we can do that. We'd sacrifice some, some coffee, maybe a burger. Um, tacos, right? Whatever it is that we would sacrifice for that month to be able to feed a kid on their side of the world, I think it'd be worth it. And I said, and I'll talk to my, I'll, I'm going to come home, say, let, I'm going to talk to the family about it and say, what do we want to do? How can we sacrifice to be able to help kids? Because we can't feed a million, but I think we can feed, feed one or two or three or four. And, I, and she said, well, I think I could feed two. And I'm like, you think you can raise $20 a month? And she says, I don't know. Do you think I can? 
I said, well, you raised like $600 in a few hours for Bike to the Light, so I guess you probably could. We just got to be creative and think of ways to say, let's do it, but it'll take sacrifice. It'll take effort. It'll take time. And she says, I think I want to feed too. And I was like, this is awesome. So um, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to tell you guys how it was and all that stuff. In November, uh, every November, we, we receive an offering as a church to say, let's do a lot of good that's not for us. Like, let's receive an offering that's going to help push the church forward, yes, in the future, but that would more and more than that give go away to other people, go out to other people to do a lot of good in our world. Um, what's amazing about the story of Nehemiah is this, that it takes a team to accomplish anything worth accomplishing. And in the story of Nehemiah, if you read chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll begin to see that Nehemiah, as he's writing this story out, he's saying, and this family, they rebuilt this part of the wall. And this other family, they took care of the gate on that side. And this guy oversaw these workers over here on this part. And he begins to list families and names of people and the jobs they accomplished to rebuild the wall. And over and over, name, name, name. If, if, if you ever read the Bible, you get to like numbers, you get to some chapters where it's just name after name after name after name. You're thinking, why am I reading this? Like, this makes no sense. Is, is there a point to all of this? I would say, yes, there is. Here's the point. People matter to God. The individual matters to God. And in the stories, God lists these people because he's saying the individual is important. See, the story is still being written today. If the story was the Grove, it would say, and this group of people, the light crew, every Sunday morning they would get up and they would set up the stage and they would set up these lights in the Grove so that people's lives can be rebuilt, so people can encounter a loving God. And this group of people, they would, they would lead small groups for kids in, a, in Theater 14 during G-Kids to help kids know that God loves them and God has better plans for their lives than they ever thought possible. And this, part, this team and these people did this. And this lady, she made this egg pizza for the team this morning. That was so fantastic. It was amazing. And, and she was a part of the story because her contribution mattered. The individual matters to God. You matter to God. And over and over and over. But here's the thing. It takes a team to, to accomplish anything that's worth accomplishing. And I'm so grateful for the team that we do have. I want to show you a clip of a couple of our team members and just to be able to give them an opportunity to share with you who they are. That's so awesome. Did you catch that? He works through the night, wakes up, takes a nap, comes and serves. It's amazing. I'm so proud of these guys. Why? Because they have a, they have a good reason to push through the, whatever else that they really wanted to do, sleep or whatever, uh, to make a difference. And so uh, a lot of our team members are like this. The Sunday mornings, it's awesome. I'm honored to serve along. But it takes a team. That, it takes a team to be able to accomplish things that's, anything that's worth accomplishing. Uh, other thing that we hear, see in the story of Nehemiah is this, that you, you can't stop. Don't stop. Because anything worth having, it, take, it requires diligence. Like they couldn't stop. There's a point in the story where the, where the other leaders of the surrounding villages, they begin to make a lot of noise and try to discourage Nehemiah and the people of Israel. Like they were trying to stop them from build, rebuilding the wall because they wanted to have control. They wanted to have power, not to give it back to the people of, it, of Jerusalem. And so they had to push through because you have to push through. There's, there's times where it's just, it just work and you have to say, I'm going to keep on doing this. And in fact, Nehemiah said, I can't come down from rebuilding the wall to meet because it's a good work. I can't stop this good work just to have a meeting. I have to keep doing. And what's, what's crazy is when they're making the most progress, that's when the enemy became the loudest. Um, Jesus in John 10.10 10 says this about uh, an adversary that we have, an enemy that we have. He said that the, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come they may have life and have it to the full. The enemy, Satan, the devil, his, his objective is to break the walls down in your lives. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy everything about you. Your relationships, your, 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 your physical, your, your, your body, everything. Every, he wants to destroy it all. That's his objective. 
But Jesus says, I've come to give them life, to do something in their, in their life that would be amazing and awesome. And he invites us on this journey to join him, to follow his lead, and not allow the enemy to come in. Um, here's the thing with, with the enemy. Over, over throughout scriptures, whenever um, we, we see the enemy jump into the, into the story, it's God's indication to show us how to overcome, how to win. You know, we see in the beginning of the, the Bible, in Genesis, where the, where the story starts. God tells Adam and Eve, you know, you can have any, any of the fruit that you want, just don't eat this one in the middle. Like, have anything else, just don't eat this one. And, and Satan comes and he tempts Eve and he says this. Because here's the thing, he begins to question Eve and question God's goodness and make Eve question God's goodness. And in questions, questions always invite relationship. All right, questions are always invite relationship. And so when the enemy comes to Eve, he says this. He says, did God really say you can't eat of the tree? Did God, he, he's telling you, you can't, this tree looks amazing, like the fruit looks great. Did God really say you can't eat? And he begins to question her and deceive and try to trick her into believing something that wasn't true. Um, the truth is, so here's what the Bible says about the enemy that we have. He's the father of lies, which means he tells a lot of lies. Like he's a liar. He, he only speaks lies in, in deception. Um, sometimes half truths, but, but it's a lie. And, and when I first learned about that, about the enemy, how he's a liar, I thought, man, that's horrible. Like, how would I ever know the truth if all I'm ever getting is lies? And then it occurred to me, well, if you know the, it's a lie, then you can only deduce that the truth is the opposite, right? So he's saying to Eve, did God really say that? So if that's the lie, what's the truth? God really said, don't eat of this tree or something will happen. And then he says, you're not really going to die, are you? Like, all right, so God's a horrible guy. He's going to kill you because you ate a piece of fruit. Well, if that's the lie and deception, what's the truth? Yes, you are going to die. You will surely die if you do what God told you not to. In the New Testament, Jesus is going to start his ministry. The enemy comes in and has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, God speaks from heaven saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Like, listen to him. He's going to help you on this journey. And then it says Jesus goes in the wilderness and is tempted by Satan. And the, and the first thing, the question Satan asks Jesus is, if you really are the son of God, like he tries to, being de- de- to deceive Jesus into believing that he really is the son of God, God just spoke. And now the first thing he's saying is, well, if you really are the son of God, let's prove this. Well, if Satan's a liar and he's trying to deceive Jesus, if the, if the lie is, if you are the son of God, what's the truth? You are the son of God, right? Uh, he, he says this to Jesus. If you'll bow down to me, he takes him over a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. Well, if that's the lie, what's the truth? No, I'm not going to give you anything. As soon as Jesus bows down to Satan and worships him, who's now in charge? The one that's getting worshipped. Satan is now in charge. He was giving Jesus a shortcut to what God already promised him. God said, you're going you're to have all the nations of the world are going to worship you. They're going to they're serve you. And, and Satan is saying, I'll give you a shortcut there if you'll just bow down. But he's a deceiver. He's, he's a liar. So he's trying to stop us. In your life, what lies have you believed for too long? Maybe for a long time. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes. Well, if the enemy was to come and tell you, you don't have what it takes. It's a lie. What's the truth? Come on, help me out here. You have what it takes, right? You're not smart enough. What's the truth? There's something in you that you can figure some things out if you'll really work at this. You'll never make it. You can make this. You'll never overcome that addiction. That's the lie. What's the truth? You, you can overcome this. And we have an enemy that's always bombarding us with these lies over and over and over. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're not, you're not smart. You're not pretty enough. You're not whatever. And the truth is, in that, he's really trying to keep us from God's truth. And if we listen to... So Eve responded with confusion and saying, well, I guess God really didn't say that. 
Jesus was different. Every time the enemy would say a lie, you know what Jesus would do? He would speak a, the scripture of truth. Like he would, he would quote a, a passage of the Bible and say, no, that's a lie. Here's the truth. And then Satan would say, all right, you beat me in that test. Here's the next test. Here's the lie. Jesus said, no, here's the truth. You're not supposed to bow down and worship anybody but God. And he passes the test because Jesus knew the truth. This is why the Bible is so important. As you read and you learn, you begin to realize, okay, this is God's truth. This is what the world is built upon. This is how God wants us to live. We can overcome. We can do that. In the story of Nehemiah, we can see that as he steps up to the task of doing something about the broken walls, what, this other truth I want us to know is that what we do in life, it will echo into eternity. The things that you choose to be part of will echo into eternity. And this can be a positive thing or it can be a, a negative thing. But every action or every inaction will have a ripple effect. So the kids we love, the kids we help, the people that we serve, it has an impact. Um, in, in, in the story of Nehemiah, what I love about the story is it, it only took them 52 days, it says, for the people to finish the wall. 52 days. That's pretty amazing because they didn't have equipment like we do, tractors and all that. It was just people doing their part. They were able to do in 52 days what those people of Jerusalem couldn't do for over 100 years. Why were they so successful? They came together. They had a passion to do something about it. They, they, they began to work together, and, and they were able to celebrate. You know, in our church, um, we're starting groups up now. Um, if you go to the next, that next slide for me, is a picture. Last, last spring, we had a, a parenting group that I was a part of. Um, it was so great. One of, I love groups. They're amazing because you start groups, and you're kind of like hesitant, like, I'm not really sure how this is going to go. And then by like week four and five, like you're like really good friends. And then like by the end of it, everybody's like, can we keep meeting? Like, let's not stop. Because they find value in it, and uh, we had a we had a crazy group because uh, there was just as many kids as there were adults, and so it was a parenting group, which was very appropriate for how many kids are in that picture. We all needed some help with our parenting. It was a great group. In, in our church, we believe that groups helps us to work together to overcome things that we couldn't overcome by ourselves. All the people in this picture are better because we came together and began to learn something together to challenge us to become to to, to do better in our lives. Um, Here's the thing in the story of Nehemiah is that for us, we can't forget to celebrate because God will give us success. Don't forget to celebrate. God will give us success. In fact, um, the next one, go to the next one for me. In, in our church, it says that uh, in, in, in chapter 8 of the story that there was such great joy. Like they celebrated with great joy. And it says they hadn't celebrated that way in a thousand years. Because they began to realize the plans that God had for their lives again. They neglected them. Now they were serving and saying, God, we want to partner with you in these things. And they celebrated. So as a church, I think it would be very appropriate that when you see our record, that we could all celebrate that the last, uh, the last three years, God has done something incredible. All right? So, so this is our record as a church. Just so you know. Go to the next one. 157 and zero. And today, that number is going to be 158. What this means is this, that every single week that we've met as a church – Somebody in this room has said, today, I want to rebuild my life. Today, I want to give my life to God. Can we celebrate that today? It would be so worth celebrating. That's 157, today 158 weeks of our team helping rebuild lives that, are, that in some cases are still broken. But God is working and helping them to rebuild marriages, rebuild relationships. Uh, we, have, we have some team members that, that had strained relationships, and we've been praying with them. And this last year, God has begun to rebuild and do something amazing. It's awesome. That's, that's why we exist as a church, to help rebuild lives. In a city of Santa Fe, there are more people that do not go to church than will ever step in a, a, a building of a church. 
So we said somebody has to do something about that because they don't even have the tools or the answers to find out how to rebuild their lives. What if we created a church where people that don't go to church would actually come to attend and they would actually like it and they would, they would look at their watches and say, wow, church is already over? I think I'm going to come back next week. And we design an environment that's going to say, if you will trust God, you will begin to see that he'll do something amazing. And then the people that, that don't just come to church but get in a small group or serve on team, we begin to see the effect that God has in their lives as they build relationships with others, and then they, they begin to grow in that relationship with God. It's amazing. And so we want to, that's why we do what we do. So we can't forget to celebrate. Um, next week and next month, we'll possibly have more guests in, in, in the Grove than we've ever had in the history of the church. Because at the movies, a very popular series that we do, and I believe a lot of people will come to it. I'm going to invite everybody I know uh, because I believe in the series and, and, and what it can do to impact. Jesus told parables. Well, the month of October will be like the modern-day parable, all right? We're going to use a movie, some movie clips, and have talk about some truths that are in the movie to help us make better decisions as people. It's going to be great. So this next month, be, be ready for it. Um, in the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel, God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, and this is what he said, all right, to Ezekiel. He said, I looked for somebody among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on, on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. In this prophecy that Ezekiel is, is talking to the people of Israel, he's saying God has been looking for somebody to do something. But because of the bystander effect, so many people were just doing their own thing, thinking somebody else can do it. Nobody acted to anything. And God was saying, I was just looking for someone, just one person to do something about that thing that bothered him so much. But because it didn't, nobody did, it never got fixed. And then one day Nehemiah shows up and says, hey, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something about that. And as he maybe felt somebody like the enemy saying, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Popping the chest saying, you, you can't do anything. You're not big enough. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough talent. What are you going to do about it? Nehemiah said, well, I'm going to do what I can. And I'm going to build a team. I'm going to get people around me. And we're going to do something together. Maybe possibly God will show up and do a miracle. And God showed up and did a miracle. Invitations invite. Questions invite relationship. Questions And, and, and the question I think God will be asking us is, what are you going to do about it? See, the enemy, he, he tries to make us feel small and we can't do anything. He says, what are you going to do about it? But God, on the other hand, he rephrases a question and says, what are you going to do about it? Like, it's in, your, it's in your court. You don't have to do anything, but if you want, I'll partner with, this, with you. See, in our lives all around us, there are walls that have fallen down. Marriages, families, relationships, um, finances, or walls are broken in people's lives around us. And like Nehemiah, I think a lot of God is saying, will you be that person that will stand up and say, I want to help you rebuild that. I want to help do something about that. A pastor in, in, in Australia, he says it like this. He says, that, he says, ruins can speak of crushing defeat or perhaps of something abandoned. But the good news today is that the ruins, they come to life. Through Jesus Christ, what we look at as ruins has become something glorious. And this is what I love about God, that the things that, that we thought were the worst part of our lives are actually the things that he makes the most beautiful and uses to rescue other people in that same exact area. So you struggle with marriage, might be a good indication that you're supposed to help other marriages get strong. You struggle with addictions, good indication that God wants to help you overcome so you can help other people with addictions. And God will use the ruins of our lives to help other people rebuild their lives. It's amazing. It's called redemption. God takes what, was, what is, he makes it into something even better, even something more beautiful. So the question today is this, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do about it? It's a great question. What are you going to do about it? Are walls broken in your lives? What are you going to do about it? Are walls broken in your neighbor's lives? 
What are you going to do about it? Are there people all around you who are suffering and don't know what to do? What are you going to do about it? Here's what I propose. Let's do something about it. Yeah, you with me? So three years ago, we said, let's do something about this. Let's start a church. Let's go do something about the situations we have in our city. Can we help the whole city? No, not at once. But we can help one part of the city, and we can be in a building there. And in three years, God has done some amazing things. Just imagine this next year and the next three years, if we would all come together like people of, of Israel that said, let's, let's do this good work. Let's rebuild the things that are broken. Let's put ourselves to this good job, this task, and let's go do it. So today, my question is, what are you going to do about it? I hope you would join us in, on the journey with us to doing something. But in your own, own ways, you have to ask God, what are those things that you want me to do? How can I focus my attention? Because here's the truth. When we're in heaven and the end of, the, end of, the, end of our life is over, we're not going to look back and say, man, I really wish I want to sacrifice those Starbucks coffees for that kid that didn't have food. We're going to be like, I wish I would have sacrificed a whole lot more to have more people know God's love. That's the truth. And let's not be the kind of people that say, I wish I would have. But we would be the kind of people that say, I did what I could, and God took it and did something more amazing than I ever thought possible. Uh, if you're here today, I want to end the service off by inviting you um, one, to join the family of God. Uh, but two is this. Um, would you allow God to rebuild? If you came today and your, your lives are, um, are needing something, uh, God wants to rebuild, I, I, would, I would say um, let, God, let God rebuild. Because in Nehemiah and his prayer, this is what he says. Let me read it for you. In Nehemiah 1.8, uh, he quotes Moses. This is God, God speaks to Moses and tells the people of Israel, if you don't follow my commands, if you, if you neglect my teachings, this is what's going to happen. He says, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even then even if you're exiled, people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my, for my name. So what he's saying is this. Even if you've neglected, even if your walls are broken down, even if you find yourselves in places that you really don't want to be, addictions, uh, marriages that are broken, families that are strained, uh, kids that are whatever, you, you fill in the blank. When you find yourselves in those situations... If you will come back to me, he says, I will I'll rebuild. I'll gather you again. I'll take those things. And in our lives, we all have a choice to make. Do we follow God's lead or do we do our own thing? And if you look at human history, if you look at the Bible over and over, those who did their own things, they usually regret it. But those who trust God, he does something amazing in their lives that you can't even explain sometimes. It's just like, I don't know, God just showed up and things changed and I trust him with my life, and I said no to those things, and he began to give me strength to overcome, and he rebuilt walls. Isaiah 6.18 says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. When you give your life to God, there's something that happens when God rebuilds a, a protection. He gives you a comfort, a security, we would call it peace. So imagine with me, people of Jerusalem, 52 days before Nehemiah they began to build the walls, sleeping with the sword at their side, wondering, is this the day that I'm going to lose everything? And then 52 days later, the gate is built. How do you think those people slept? Like babies. Because they knew the walls were there and secure to help them. And if somebody was going to break in, they would sound the alarm, they'd have time to prepare. That's a lot different kind of life than always worrying what's going to happen. People who give their lives to God can sleep in that same way of knowing, God, I'm at peace because I've given you everything that I have. I trust you. And our walls will be called salvation. Our gates will be called praise. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? 
if you're here today and you, I've been talking to you more than you even realized, and it's not me, it's God speaking to you. You, you need to rebuild your lives. You're far from God. You've been doing your own thing. You don't like the, the consequences that have come. God is inviting you, saying, would you come back to me? Would you let me lead? And today would be my privilege to be able to lead you in a prayer that just says, God, forgive me and help me. See, Nehemiah started with personal responsibility, where you're at, and then make do something about it. So if you're here today, I, I want to lead you in a prayer just from where you're at in your seat. I won't call you up. But if that's you today, would you let me know you're here by lifting your hand and saying, I need, I need help. I want God to rebuild my lives. And I want God to do something in my life. I see your hands. Awesome. I see your hands. Anybody else? Let hands have gone up. God, rebuild my lives. For all of you that raised your hand, um, that's God's desire to do something in your life with those broken things, with those things that are painful and hurt. Build something beautiful out of it. Paul says that if, we're, if we confess to God that we've done wrong, that he's faithful to forgive us of those things. So today we're going to do that. So would you pray with me if you lift your hands? If you're a Christian, would you join us in praying? So not praying alone. Say this today if you raise your hand. Say, Father God, today I need your help. Forgive me of my sin, of my part. Help me to become the person that you want me to be. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die on that cross in my place so I can have a new life, a better life, a full life. I trust you today with my future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.